from the team at CTS, this is the Time Crunch Cyclist Podcast, our show dedicated to answering your training questions and providing actionable advice to help you improve your performance, even if you're strapped for time. I'm your host, Coach Adam Pulford, and I'm one of the over 50 professional coaches who make up the team at CTS. In each episode, I draw on our team's collective knowledge, other coaches, and experts in the field to provide you with the practical ways to get the most out of your training and ultimately become the best cyclist that you can be. Now, on to our show. Welcome back, Time Crunched fans. It's all about nutrition today as I'm sitting here with nutrition expert and sports dietitian, Kristen Arnold. Kristen, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, well, today we'll be answering common questions heard from athletes about nutrition, focused more on what to eat, drink, and do off the bike. So things like weight loss, diets, how to maintain energy, like all day. We'll have another companion episode where we talk specifically about fueling on the bike, like pre, during, and post-training nutrition. And these are all things that we could talk about, like, all day on podcasts. And, and so let's just dive right in. Kristen, what is like the common question or a handful of common questions that you hear from your clients that come to you when they're trying to solve their problems? The most common questions I get, one is about what is my ideal race weight? <clears throat> so should I be losing weight, gaining weight? What does that look like? And then also around what types of foods to eat. So should our processed foods like sports foods, supplements better or are real foods better? Yeah. Yeah. Th those are, those are common. And yes, should I lose weight to become a better cyclist? Uh, so ideal race weight, how, how do you answer that question for somebody who's coming to you? Like, should I lose weight? Should I not? How do you identify if someone should or should not? Yeah. So if someone comes to me and is asking that question, which is really common. That's one of the main reasons anyone would reach out to me to work with me as a sports dietitian. Um, first piece of information we need is their body composition. So I have them get a bod pod or a DEXA scan done somewhere in their area. And we get those um, objective data points. Mm -hmm. And then I also have them do an assessment to see what weights were they at when they had their best performances over the year. So a historical reference of when did they feel the best and perform the best and what weight were they at at that time? And then also checking the box, making sure they were healthy at that time. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, essentially you're starting with data, working with science in order to come to a decision about should you do weight loss or should you not and how much probably. Yep. And it's definitely based on their body composition. So their fat free mass to their fat mass is the first piece of information we need. And so like in terms of ideal race weight, then in, in without using like specific numbers or like a case study, but like, how would you dial in the ideal race weight for somebody who has weight loss goals and say they are a candidate for some weight loss before a race season happens? That's a great question. It's, it's somewhat subjective to determine that, and that's why we gather a bunch of information because um, <clears throat> there really aren't parameters for what is what should a cyclist be for body fat percentage or what weight should they be. There, there are references 
Um, in the data, most of them are 10, 20, 30 years old, and they're all based on different machines that are measuring body fat percentage in different ways. So first, I would make sure that they're meeting their nutrient needs and help them to meet their calorie and their fat, protein, and carbohydrate-rich needs using nutrient-dense foods and just see where their weight's at at that point. And a lot of the time, it optimizes itself. Like their body fat percentage will go down and their body, um, <clears throat> their lean body mass will go up. And that's really what's going to produce the best power numbers. If you identify and say they have seven pounds to lose before uh, a key event and say that key, say it's right now you're working with an athlete in February and the key event is national championships in July. How, like, what's a timeline? What's, how would you start losing that weight? The further away from uh, race day, the better. So I prefer people to work with me over the winter when they have more time um, to lose a significant amount of weight. And then probably one or two months out from race day, we're not really trying to lose any weight. And then as far as timeline goes, uh, athletes can expect to lose 0.5 to 2 pounds per week is a standard amount that has been shown in the literature to allow for weight loss and not regaining the same weight. Yeah, precisely. And I, and I think like for a lot of our audience, um, like what I want you to hear about that is you want normal, normal body weight and normal habits like a month out from that competition. All too often though, like I see athletes losing weight that, you know, three to four weeks out from that, uh, competition and that's like the worst thing to do because you just start to deplete everything is in my right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. So the longer runway, the, the better. And if you can get these habits kind of under control during the winter time or like, you know, general base periods, that's, that's kind of what Kristen's saying there. So when we were talking to like a, another kind of common question that I think you hear and I, and I hear too, is like, should I be eating more plants? And if I'm an endurance athlete, should I be following like uh, a vegetarian, a full vegan? Do I even need to care about this? Like, what are your thoughts on eating plants for an endurance athlete? When the movie um, Game Changers came out, I probably was getting 25 <laughs> as, uh, questions a week about that. And uh, plants are generally very nutrient dense. So they have a lot of vitamins and minerals per calorie. Um, for endurance athletes, being plant-based and meeting all of your nutrient needs is actually pretty easy to do because the calorie needs for endurance athletes are so high that by the time you're getting to that calorie goal, you're also going to be meeting your protein needs. Um, so the benefits of the plant of plant-based eating is that you are getting a good amount of vitamins, minerals, essential fatty acids, essential amino acids. Um, and as long as you're varying and making sure you're having balanced meals with carbohydrate, protein, and fat-rich foods, you'll be meeting your protein needs, which is the primary concern. Um, the literature does suggest that people that are 100% vegan should get 10% more protein um, to account for the lower quality protein sources in plants. So if someone does come to you and they say, hey, Kristen, I, I read somewhere that, you know, being a vegetarian is great for endurance sports. Should I do that? Even though I love hamburgers, like what would you tell them? 
I tell them to start slow. So try to do one to two meals per day or even one to two meals per week and start to develop the cooking skills that are required. A lot of my clients know how to cook meat, but they actually don't know as much about cooking vegetables (laughs) or beans or lentils or tempeh or tofu. So getting those cooking skills and so making sure they're incorporating those protein-rich plant-based foods um, will help them to meet all their needs. You know, a lot of that is like habit changing. And I think when someone wants to change like a big habit of going from, you know, meat based to, you know, plant based or not even meat based, but like, you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. yeah. And, and then they, okay, cool. I got this idea that I'm going to go for. And then all of a sudden now what do I do? Right. Cause all the, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the old habits die hard, so to speak. Um, it, you know, and that to say too, like, I, I am not a pusher of, you know, like a, one particular diet over the other. I think that in American society, I think that if, if we strive to eat more plants and diversify our food selections, I think that's a healthy thing, but I, I don't, based on research and evidence working with athletes and myself, um, I don't see a strong reason to go either way other than like be more diverse. hundred percent more diverse, um, more variety and, um, and that's really what's going to set them up for success. Yeah. One question that I, it like cycles through quite a bit, but it's basically the question of does fasting make you fast? So if you got someone coming to you and says, is fasting healthy for cyclists? What's your response? So for female athletes, I really don't recommend fasted training. One of the, well, fasting, I guess, is different than fasted training. So um, intermittent fasting, there's research to show that if you are in an obese population, you will potentially have success with weight loss. So that's where the most research is. Um, You if you engage in intermittent fasting, especially for males, you could lower um, chronic inflammatory markers. So that's another um, piece of the research that's there. For performance, um, for like I said, for females, I really don't recommend it. Uh, physiologically and hormonally, females are already predisposed to being good at fat burning. And so there can be some benefits for males to improve the proportion of fat to carbs that they're burning during lower intensity and up to higher intensity exercise. Um, But it has to be done in a very explicit, uh, well-prepared way in order for you to have the physiological benefits of fasted training. Yeah. And I, you know, I think to, and you're the expert here. So let me run this one past you is the, the primary performance benefit of quote fasted rides and fasted training is to get that fat burning, um, ability, correct? Yep. All right. Mm-hmm. So one way to do that, <clears throat> excuse me, is say you wake up and you want to do some of this, you can wake up and consume water or, you know, maybe coffee, go out and just not consume carbohydrate in that first hour or so of training. And then if you're going to go two hours or more, or you have like performance goals, like intervals or something like that, that's when to put the carbohydrate in. And because of the, the time gap between probably last meal and like activating, um, energy systems within that first hour of riding and not consuming carbohydrate, that is one way to like get some of the benefit of fat 
burning capabilities, correct? Yep. Yep. The main mistakes you don't want to make are one, doing anything over zone two or LT1 while fasted. Absolutely do not do that. Also, one thing I see with people that try this is it's you're not cutting out breakfast or you're cutting out fuel. You're just displacing those calories and those nutrients to other parts of the day. So you still need to eat breakfast or eat a really big lunch um, because that's one of the biggest issues is people get into low energy availability because they're just cutting out foods. They're not displacing them to other parts of the day. Yeah. Energy availability. Uh, that's, that'll be the last one that we talk about. But first, just to kind of like close a loop here on fasting, uh, for athletes, do you recommend like 12 hour, 24 hour fasts or like a three day fast? Definitely not. Okay. Nope. In zero scenarios, would I recommend those? (laughs) In in like a very short summary, like why would you not recommend that? Again, it comes to energy availability and you are putting the, when you do that, you're putting the body at risk for um, inflammation. The immune system is heavily taxed, so you're much more likely to get sick. Um, It's, there's studies showing there's sleep disturbances, there's all kinds of side effects. And also, again, it's not that we're, you're trying to displace calories or you're trying to just cut out calories, you're just moving them to other parts. And so the calorie needs for endurance athletes are so high. If you're just not eating 2,500 calories and then the next day you have to eat 5,000, 6,000, 7,000 calories, that's just not practical. Yep. Yeah. So again, for, if you're an endurance athlete with performance goals and you're reading stuff on the internet about fasting for health benefits, I would suggest number one, not doing it or number two, change slash stop training for a period if you want to try fasting. And then I'll just leave it there because I don't see any benefit from a performance standpoint uh, when it comes to uh, 24, three day, five day fasting, that kind of thing. And, you know, we talked about total energy availability along with some of that. And so, Kristen, like, can, can you explain total energy availability and how it pertains to our final question, which is like, am I eating enough and how do I have good energy all day long? Energy availability really came on the scene in sports nutrition in the last five, maybe 10 years. So it's not a new concept, but it's just much more emphasized and looked at as a way to optimize performance. Um, So the technical definition of energy availability is the total amount of calories that the athlete takes in um, minus the calories they burn from their exercise. And it also takes into account their fat-free mass. So technically, in order to calculate energy availability, you need somebody's body composition results and also like the total number of calories they took in for that day um, and also the calories they burn from exercise. But generally speaking, it's just about meeting the body's needs for energy that it's burned during exercise. And so Um, It also goes beyond things like eating disorders, which were previously very emphasized and people thought that you were only under eating if you had an intention, like you were trying to lose weight or you had issues with your uh, body image. Mm -hmm. But now we're seeing that lots of athletes are chronically under fueling. And so having energy availability to take a look at that and see by how much and where they should plug in to be more successful 
Um, it's a big topic right now. Yeah. It, yeah, it is. It is a big topic right now. And I think that it's, it's a complicated one because even when you're talking about how we, um, you know, calculate total energy availability, you need really good data points. You need to work at the individual level, um, to make sure that you've got good intake coming in for an athlete to perform well. I'd say on the, like the, the coaching side of things is kind of one way I do it without those calculations is, is the athlete happy and are they performing well consistently and are, are they, you know, maintaining body weight? I think those three things lets me know that, you know, T E is pretty good. Yep. And I'd also really keep track of how often they're getting sick or injured. Yeah. Um, getting the common cold, the flu, those are common reasons that are outcomes of being in low energy availability. Yep. Yep. And, and so kind of going into this, like having good energy all day, like if you don't have good energy all day, if you are getting sick, total energy availability and working with somebody like, like Kristen or working with a professional to, um, see if there is these like chronic deficits is a way to identify that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I don't know, is there any like, just like quick tip or like thing that you can give our audience that would like allow them to make sure that they're eating adequately throughout the day? Uh, something like that. Yeah. Uh, and we'll go into this in the next episode with fueling before, during, and after activity. Um, but eating three meals a day, (laughs) eating three meals a day with carbohydrate, fat, and protein rich foods, um, fueling before, during, and after activity, and just general energy levels during training and outside of training. If all those boxes are checked, it's likely that you're close to meeting your energy availability, if not meeting it. Yeah. hundred percent. It sounds like super basic, but like, don't overthink it because it is, it is that basic. You just have to do it. Right. And then once you come across some of these problems uh, again, it's like now you start have to work on the individual level. And I would suggest, you know, if, if some of the stuff that we're talking about like resonates with you, um, you know, look Kristen up and, and Kristen, I'll ask you, are you taking on clients right now? I am taking on clients. Okay. Well, that is a good thing to know. If people want to connect more with you, what's the best way to do that? The best way to connect with me would be through my website, which is Arnold, R, D as in dog, N as in Nancy.com. And are you active on social media? Yes. Uh, My Instagram is Kristen K. Arnold. And that's the best channel to reach me there as well. Excellent. Okay. So what we'll do folks is, um, we'll provide Kristen as a, as a resource to you. And, um, best way to do that is to go to trainright.com backslash podcast. If you didn't catch, uh, what she was, um, giving to you there. Uh, so with that said, I'd say in summary, you know, when we're dealing with some of these nutrition questions and, in and kind of problems that people are working with, I say first start with the science, you know, start to get some baseline numbers to work with so that it's not just feeling and somebody like Kristen or your coach that you're working with can then start to work backwards and identify some of these problems. Um, when it comes to, you know, uh, a, a certain way of eating diet, 
planning or whatever. I, I think diet agnostic is, is kind of the, the approach to go with because it's really about total energy. If you're feeling good, if you're happy, you're performing well, uh, that's a good indicator that you're on, on the right track. Anything else that you would um, add to that, Kristen? I think just eat whole food yeah. is is the main one. Um, that's what that's what you need. If you were working with me, that's the first thing we would do. Love it. So if you're already coming into working with a professional and you're doing that, you can get to more advanced strategies more quickly rather than just focusing on eating fruits and vegetables for a while. Well, uh, let's, let's put a pin in it there because the next episode we'll talk all about like more training nutrition and training fueling. So for now, thank you, Kristen, for joining us. And, uh, for those listening, um, and you want more about during training fueling, be sure to hit the next episode. Thanks for joining us on the time crunch cyclist podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Three quick things before you take off. First, head over to trainright.com backslash podcast and submit your training questions you'd like to hear answered on future episodes. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a review on Apple podcast and share the episode with your friends. This is the best way that you can help support the podcast so we can continue to produce free content to help you improve your performance. Lastly, if you want even more actionable training advice, head over to trainright.com backslash newsletter and subscribe to our free weekly publication. Each week, you'll get in-depth training content that goes beyond what we cover here on the podcast that'll help you take your training to the next level. That's all for now. Until next time, train hard, train smart, train right.